You're listening to Freedom Disciple On Demand. Trump versus Roberts, who was right. Victims and losing arguments. And the story of General Wayne. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you got to spend it with some family, some friends. Hope you all gained about 10, 12 pounds, you know, with turkey and stuffing and I saw all the pictures. It's the one time a year I actually love going on Facebook and actually seeing what people y'all are eating. You know, every other day it's like, oh, here I'm having a hamburger. Don't care. Oh, here I'm having a steak. Don't care. Thanksgiving, it's like pumpkin pie, turkey, stuffing, gravy. I love it. Um, I hope to get to get the opportunity one day to spend Thanksgiving in your wonderful country. We have a jam-packed show for you today, and I want to talk about an issue that is kind of political, but it needs to be addressed the right way. And people are not going to be happy about this because it is the dispute that's been going on in your country right now between Chief Justice John Roberts and Donald Trump. Because the reason this needs to be addressed is because there are sentiments in what both people said that are true. But what is missing is so telling and is the big, big problem with your culture right now. And we need to address it. So in case you've been living under a rock, in case you did what I did last week and pretty much didn't listen to anybody or anything or did my best to stay away from news organizations and news sites, in case you haven't heard, there was a court case, it was about immigrants and getting asylum and basically the court ruled against him. And Donald Trump wasn't very happy with this decision and as Donald Trump famously does, Donald Trump went to to Twitter and let his, his feelings known. And what he basically said was, and I quote, Sorry, Chief Justice John Roberts. Um, the cases that are posed my policies uh, are disproportionately filed in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It's the same one that broke the asylum rule. Please study numbers. They are shocking. We need protection and security. These rulings are making our country unsafe, very dangerous and unwise. He also went on to say in an earlier tweet that um, he called the judge an Obama judge. As if saying, you know, there's, you know, different judges are different, um, you know, by different presidents. That's the criteria should be defined as. John Roberts then replied saying, who is the chief justice who was appointed by George W. Bush, basically responded by saying, we don't have Obama judges or Trump judges or Bush judges or Clinton judges. What we have is an extraordinary group of dedicated judges doing their level best to the equal rights to those appearing before them. That independent judiciary is something we should all be thankful for. So let's break this down, shall we? This is the problem with America right now. This is the exact problem with America right now. Because here you have the President of the United States attacking a Chief Justice, or not attacking him, but, you know, raising a major issue, and then John Roberts, who, instead of going to, like, a law review journal or, you know, doing this the true proper channels, actually went to the AP to say this and to attack the President. Yet there is one word missing that both of them have a note to respond to, and a note that they're responsible for, that they put their hand on a Bible and say they will preserve, protect, and defend What? To be an Obama judge or to be a Trump judge? To do they take an oath to, you know, make everything safe? No. They take an oath to preserve, defend, and protect the Constitution of the United States. Here you have a major issue between the President and the Chief Justice, and not one word is mentioning the Constitution. So let's go through this bit by bit by bit. 
Now, I'm not going to give you the legal opinion. I'm not a legal expert. I have my opinion on the case, but I'm not a legal expert, and I haven't had the time or the opportunity to read the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and the decision. So I can't give you that. I apologize. However, let's go through what Donald Trump said. Is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, historically, not this, this case because I haven't read it, historically, is it a Obama judge type place? Is it a liberal type place? Is it a type of place where the Constitution lives and breeds and is a document? Yes. Is it a type of place where the Constitution is sacrosanct and is followed to the letter of the law and understood by everyone there? No. The Ninth Circuit of a Court of Appeals has long been a problem in America. This is not a, a thing that's just happened under Donald Trump, by the way. This is a long problem. You know, a lo- all the problems that are in your Supreme Court, it, it just didn't happen. It, this, this is not a Donald Trump phenomenon. This is not a Barack Obama thing. It's not even a George Bush thing. The problems in your Supreme Court and all your court systems started in the 1800s. So, is Donald Trump what he's saying? Are the sentiments behind it true? Yes. The Supreme, the Ninth Circuit of Court is a problem and it needs to be addressed. Is he right when he says it's the problem is an Obama judge? No, he's absolutely wrong. If you think the problem right now is that you have Obama judges... Or you have, and the solution is Trump judges? Or the the solution is Reagan judges? No, that's not the problem. I'm sorry to tell you this. The problem what you have in America is very clear. The problem is you have judges who believe in the traditional originalist message. The message where the Constitution is a set of principles and a set of values... And there is one way, if you, or sorry, there's two ways, actually. If you don't like the Constitution, you amend it. You amend it through the states, which has never been done, or you amend it through Congress, which has been done. Those are the two ways you amend the Constitution. It is not a living and breathing document. It is a document that has amendment processes. And if you don't like it, you go through those processes. You also then have a set of judges who don't believe the Constitution is kind of as written. It's open for interpretation. It's what we say it is. If I, as a judge, say the Constitution means this, guess what? That's what the Constitution means. And I have the power to to give my decision. We also are in a situation over there where, like Ireland, like Europe, that the Constitution is not really relevant. What's relevant is case law or precedent. What other judges said at a previous time, whether that's last week, last month, last year, or a hundred years ago. You do not base it on the Constitution. You also have judges who think they can legislate from the bench. It's like they think, well, I'm a judge and I have to wear this black gown and I get to sit on this lovely bench, but I always wanted to, you know, write laws. You know, it's it's ironic we're talking about Chief Justice John Roberts because he's one of those people who did that with the whole Obamacare. It is a tax, it isn't a tax, it is a tax, it isn't a tax. And you read some of his decisions on Obamacare, they're really horrific. So Donald Trump's sentiments may be right with this court, but the way he's worded it is not principled, and it's not the real problem. Which leads me to the second question. What do you want a judge's job to be? I laid out the two. That's a question you all have to ask yourself. Because Donald Trump, in his tweet, spoke about how some of these judges are not making the right decision. They're making, you know, they're very dangerous, they're very unsafe, they're very unwise. Is that the judge's job? Let's say you had a law that Donald Trump, or not, let's not make it about Donald Trump, any president, whether you love him or you hate him, or you have are indifferent to him. If a Congress makes a law and the president signs it, and let's say, let's give them the best intentions in the world, the best intent, this law will make America safer. But it violates the Constitution. Should the judge uphold it? Is the idea to make America safer? Is that the justice's job? Or is the justice's job to go, look, you may have the best intentions, and I understand why you wrote this law, but it's wrong. It goes against the Constitution. you got to go back. I'm rejecting it. And if you do reject it, then it goes back to Congress, and then you have to rewrite a law that's in the Constitution, that follows the Constitution, that follows those guidelines. What do you want a judge's job to be? 
So many times in your culture right now, we think people who you know disagree with us or dare have a different opinion to us have ill intent. Now I'm sure there are politicians, you know, I I, I know politicians do have ill intent. I know some of the media people do, but just people on the ground. They can have a different opinion just through ignorance or through it's what they believe. It doesn't have to be ill intent. You can have the most noblest intent in the world to fill a vacuum or a void. doesn't mean it, it makes it constitutional. It doesn't mean a judge should uphold it if you actually believe in the Constitution. The Constitution is very clear, especially where D.C. is concerned. You know, people like to make the Constitution, well, you know, I've heard these that have been participated in these debates. Well, you know, John, the, you think the Constitution is so straightforward. There's, there's a lot of opening to interpretation. You know, like the General Welfare Clause. Sure. There's not really. If you actually read the founding documents, they're pretty clear. There's some areas that you could have interpretation. The problem is, is that people don't actually read it from the founding era's point of view or the founding father's point of view. What they read it from is a modern 2018 point of view, where these liberals, these leftists, whatever word you want to call, these people who actually believe and go on the record and say the Constitution is living and breathing, they'll use these terms around the general welfare clause, and they'll insert every argument under that, because it's a general provision, general welfare is general. You can make anything general welfare. So it's not true a constitutional or founders type argument. It's true a modern day argument where they've listened to so many people make the general welfare clause kind of big, kind of open to interpretation, where it really isn't. But when it comes to DC, the general welfare clause isn't really an issue. The, the, the founders in the constitution are very clear. Article 1 power. You have 18 clauses in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. If it is not one of those 18s, you have no right in D.C. to talk about it. Or you can talk about it, but you can't legislate it, which is just a waste of time. If it is not one of those 18 clauses, it goes right back to the states. States' rights and federalism. Article 2, you have no power in the executive. None. The only thing you can do is pretty much be the commander-in-chief... But you can't declare war, you need Congress. You can't make laws, you don't legislate. I know this is different to what y'all do in 2018, but I'm talking constitutionally. You know, you're a figurehead. Yes, you can veto laws, that's your big power. If you think it goes against the Constitution, you veto it. Everything else is left to the states. You have all power vested in Congress, Congress shall write laws, and the presidency shall sign laws. That's the job. The executive and the legislator. I, I've seen all these videos of people been really funny and having a great laugh at this uh, Cortez girl who's been elected about, you know what, she doesn't know the three branches of government. Yeah, you may know there's three branches of government, but who actually is calling out Article 1 and Article 2 powers right now? You may know them, but you're not enforcing them. So let's, how about we look inwards instead of looking and mocking someone else? Which brings me to John Roberts and his comments. So while he may be right and have some merit that you don't have Obama judges and Trump judges and all these different judges, what he did say was you have an extraordinary group of dedicated judges doing their level best to do what is equally right to those appearing before them. Equally right? Where is that in the where where is that in your oath of office? Where is that in your oath of office, Chief Justice? Where? Preserve, defend, and protect the Constitution. I don't hear anything about equal rights. Now, sure, as a decent human being, you listen to cases and you go, look, you have a case, I'll listen to you, and I, you have the opposition case, I'll listen to you. But it's not about what they say, it's you're making the ruling based on the merits. Is it constitutional or not? That's the one question you are asking. Is it constitutional or not? It's very simple. And then he goes on and talks about being an independent judiciary that is something we should all be thankful for. Here's the thing. Should you be thankful for an independent judiciary as the sentiments that he's talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Your founders are very clear. Article 3 powers is the, is the Supreme Court. Article 3 powers is the courts. It's the judiciary. That's what you have. Okay? Should the judiciary be separate to Congress? Yes. It's why you have three co-equal branches of government. No one is better than the other. No one, if you remember when we were talking about Brett Kavanaugh and what he said about the Supreme Court being the crown jewel, no it's not. 
You have three co-equal branches of government. Executive, legislator, and judiciary. They're your three branches. They're all co-equal. They are all the same. The Supreme Court is third on that list. It's not first, it's not second, it's third. There's a reason for that. Because the Supreme Court's job is solely not to give equal rights, not to defend equal rights. The sole job is to defend, to preserve, and to protect the Constitution of the United States. Listen to the cases in front of you, and are they constitutional or not? There is no room for heartstrings. There is no room for emotions. There is no room for sob stories. There is no room for situations. It's, is it constitutional or not? Simple question. But what you have is the Chief Justice who think he can legislate from the bench. Again, see Obamacare. So, is he right when he says we should all be thankful for an independent judiciary? Yes, especially when you see what other countries do. However, there's a problem with this. And this, again, is not a Trump problem. This is not even an Obama problem. This has been a problem in your culture for as long as I've been in politics. And that is, God, it's 18 years now. And around that time, since I started following your culture. Bush versus Gore. The problem is, anytime anyone, whether it's a radio host, whether it's a TV host, whether it's a a politician, whether it's a former president, anyone anytime criticizes the court, whether it's based on principles or not, you're, oh, you're attacking, you know, judicial independence. We, We shouldn't be attacked. Here's the problem with that. You might have some merits to say that if you actually followed the Constitution. If you actually followed the Constitution and had Article 3 powers. If you were very limited in scope. The problem that you have in 2018 is that the judiciary is encroaching in in the legislative and the executive branches. Where they are literally making laws. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot encroach on other people's powers. And then any time someone criticizes you going, hey, what are you doing? Going, well, judicial independence, John, you can't say anything. You cannot have it both ways. If you want to be about the Constitution and your sole job is just, is it constitutional? Fine. Judicial independence. You shouldn't be able to say anything. Or you should be able to say anything is the question. Because I would then ask you another question. Who in this world is above reproach? Who do you trust? Who would you give a job to? Whether you're a candy maker, whether you're a store maker, whether you're cars, whether you're on the internet, whether you're in a radio host. Imagine me going, hey, you know what? Everything I say, you got to believe. And you can't dare criticize me. Doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong. You can't criticize me. Would you trust me? Would you trust anyone? If I said to you, I'm going to do a job for you, make fix your car, but you can't question the way I do it. Would you trust me? If, if you went to Walmart to buy your shop and going, hey, I'm going to give you whatever you're going to give you, but you can't question me. There's, and you can't criticize me. Would you go there? I don't know anyone who would. You should be allowed to question. Question with boldness everything. Even the very existence of God. No one is above reproach. It's because we are all imperfect. We are all sinners. But this double standard that John Roberts has, where he thinks, and it's ironic it's coming from him, where he can rewrite Obamacare. It is a tax. It isn't a tax. It is a tax. Can rewrite Obamacare. Can start writing legislation. And then go, well, you can't criticize me. Judicial independence. This story has been bugging me for a week. Because both people have partly right. Has said true things. Donald Trump was right when he called out the Ninth Circus. He's absolutely right. It's been a problem for a very, very long time. John Roberts is right when he talks about judicial independence. The problem is both miss, miss the underlying principle. What do you want a judge to be? Do you want it to be the rule on the Constitution? Is the Constitution relevant anymore? I wish that people would actually have the intellectual honesty on both sides. If y'all just came out and went, you know what, look, Trump is president, and if whatever he does in the Article 2 powers, it's fine. If it violates the Constitution, we've got to get something done. Okay, cool. I'll disagree with you, but I'll at least respect it. If John Roberts would come out and say, look, we don't rule on the Constitution anymore. We rule on case law and precedent and what we feel is best for the country. Cool. I'll disagree with you. I'll be the, still the person talking about the Constitution, but at least you're intellectually honest. How many people are intellectually honest today? 
Because right now, what you have in your culture is, anytime it's cool, the Constitution, well, we've dusted the Constitution off, and, well, I'm a constitutionalist. I defend it, and I'll put my hand on a Bible every two, four, six, or years, ever how many years it is, and I'll swear to God, the Almighty, and go, I'd preserve and protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Even though I haven't got a clue what's in it. Even though I haven't got a clue what's constitutional. What do you want to do? What do you want to do, America? What leaders do you want? The choice is yours. You can continue going down this path where we play the political games and we all get our little digs in each other and we delve on the surface about Obama judges and Trump judges and Bush judges and we delve on the surface or we can dig deeper at the underlying principles. Is the Constitution relevant? Do we want to, Do y'all want to follow it anymore? Do y'all want to talk about it anymore? Where the founders rice? Heck, there's even a debate I'd love to take part in. Is the Constitution good or not? Because there are people who, by their actions, say it sucks. It's very limiting. I don't like it. It's very constrictive. I want to be able to do what I want. Okay, then let's have that debate. There are people who want out more power in Article 2. On both sides of the aisle. Okay. By their actions in Congress and the presidency and their lean actions in the states, there are people who don't believe in federalism. Okay, but how about we have that debate? This is the questions we need to start having and we'll be having on this show starting in 2019. We need to start having these debates. Because if we don't have them debates, who's going to have them? Because I'll be the guy, and I can tell you this right now, and I don't care who it annoys. I don't care who I pee off. I'll be the same guy all the time. I'll be the guy, I'll be that stupid, crazy Irish guy talking about the Constitution. Talking about why that document should be followed. I'll be the biggest cheerleader for the Constitution. And I don't care if it's a Republican in the White House, if it's a Democrat in the White House. Heck, it could be an illegal alien in the White House. It could be a Libertarian in the White House. It could be the Green Party in the White House. I'll still be the same guy all the time talking about the Constitution. It's just what you're going to accept. Are you going to join me? Are you just going to accept what you have right now, the status quo, where the Constitution is violated on a daily basis? Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on social media, Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Don 58 We release a new show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. We're on all major platforms, SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, OmniFM, and Spotify. If you happen to listen on iTunes, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It helps the algorithm and whatever platform you listen on, please subscribe and continue to share with your family and your friends. We... October was our greatest ever month in numbers, so thank you for all your support and for sharing it. And This show is growing, and we're going to continue making a positive difference in society. I want to talk to you about arguments and discussions. I want to talk to you about how we actually win. Or, in this case of what I want to talk to you about, of what you don't do. I want to share a couple of stories from around the world of what's going on right now. First of all, we have, through our mindset, a culture where we love to dehumanize the individual. We love to look at people and kind of go, well, they have a certain opinion, they're obviously fill in the blank. You know, a common theme of this under Barack Obama was anytime you criticize Barack Obama as a black man, you were clearly racist didn't matter whether you know if a white person said the exact same thing or did the same thing and you criticized them you if you criticized obama you were racist if you oppose hillary clinton you were sexist we have all these labels and the problem i have with this is twofold first of all it doesn't do anything it it just you know silences people you know if you, if your answer is if i criticize obama and you're going well john you're clearly a racist it just stops the debate. Where do you go from there? But second of all, it actually weakens the argument. Because there is real racists out there. And because we just throw everyone under the bus right now, on all sides do this, is, you know, you put me in the category of David Duke. You put me in the category of Richard Spencer. You put me in the category of the alt-right white supremacists. You're weakening them. You're weakening the argument because people go, John's not really racist. They have nothing in common. I have nothing in common with David Duke. 
I don't care the few things we do have in common. Like, people always tell me, oh, well, have you read his tax policy? Don't care. It's David freaking Duke. So we have that side of category of people who love to put you in a category, even if you don't belong. If you oppose Hillary Clinton, you hate women. This narrative, you've heard this. It happens on both sides, by the way. I hear all this, if you're a Democrat, you're automatically a socialist. It doesn't work that way. But we're also now having these society where people go, you know, I want to be a victim. I want to be a victim. I want to have, if you say something about me, you were just as bad as as fill in the blank. That my, my pain, my suffering that you've caused me is the same as someone else's. And we just dilute the argument so much that no one can have any truth. No one can have any, you know, everyone's the same. I want to share three stories with you. First one, apparently there's a Disney co-writer, and his name is Tony Rosario. I think I'm pronouncing that guy's name is right. He's a screenwriter, and he's behind Disney blockbusters. He's been in, he's behind Aladdin. He was in behind Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, he said something stupid, and I don't really say I hate saying you say something stupid, but he really did say something stupid. Um, he tweeted out, he talks about anti-vax, vaccination people. And he tweeted this out the other day on November 23rd. My heart goes out to all the parents of vaccine-damaged children who have not only had to endure the sadness of their loss, but also the vitriol of ill-informed and insensitive people in brackets such as those here. Anti-vax is the equivalent to calling someone the N-word and makes as little sense. So let's see with this one real quick, shall we? Let's knock this one out of the park. I believe... I don't have a strong opinion either way on this, to be honest. Um, I ha- believe that the people who are quote-unquote anti-vax have, have a lot of strong points. I, If I had to fall on one side of it, I would fall on the anti-vax side because I actually believe in freedom of choice and freedom of conscience. I don't believe in mandatory anything. But the debate has to be had, not of mandatory vaccination, but whether you should. I believe it should be up to the individual and up to the parents. If you want to be vaccinate your kids, go for it. If you don't want to unvaccinate your kids, don't do it. But let's let science. I know, I know, it's gas. The the the, the quote unquote right winger talking about science, right? Let's let science um, prove. Let's actually have proof on either side, whether it's true or not. You know, I've I've read a lot about anti-vaccinations and, you know, you look at the compelling case of, you know, as people have got more and more vaccinations, you know, certain diseases have become more and more prevalent. There's more and more mental health. But, you know, I don't have the answer either way. I'm not going to say it is good or it's not good. I know personally, I don't put pills in my body unless I am absolutely desperate because it's an old physics and chemistry equation. For every action, there's a greater or equal reaction. If you're putting something in your body, something else could be happening. So I think pills and medication should be used sparingly. However, you're free to have a different opinion. But the problem with that is, instead of actually having a debate about vaccines and medication and or not, he says calling someone anti-vax is the equivalent to calling someone the N-word. No, no it's not. No, 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 no. Not in a million freaking years. It isn't even close. First of all, if you're offended by the term anti-vax, then don't get involved in debates. You know, this idea where you have to coddle people of you can't use certain things, certain names, grow up. Second of all, can we stop with the moral equivalency that, what, the anti-vax movement has been around what? seriously mainstream maybe five years ten years and you think you can equate yourself to something to a word like the n-word which has been around a very long term and is used in derogatory terms and the amount of things that has happened i don't know one anti-vax person who has had one percent done to them than some people in the history of america and the world who were called the n-word so can we stop with this victimhood, this baloney? Let's debate stuff. Because as someone who, as I, 
and I have a hard opinion on either side, but I would be fairly open to the anti-vax movement. Again, I believe in freedom of choice. But when I see idiots like this, I kind of go, I'm annoyed by what you've just said. Someone who's on the fence is now going to go, well, if that's the if they're the state of the arguments, then there is nothing to the anti-vax movement. They're all, all a bunch of idiots. I'm going to move on. What's the how's that going to play in mainstream? Second story I want to talk to you about on the opposite side. There's a story in the UK. Oh, sorry, it's not in the UK. I apologise. Sorry, we'll get to that in a minute. In a few minutes, it's actually France. I want to talk to you about. Well, there's a woman. I'm dreadful at names. If you're a long-term listener, you know this. Miss Montague. And how shall I say this? She's a Christian. She's a woman. She's a mother. And she's not white. You can fill in the blank there. Well, she's actually a devout Christian. And she decided her son was at a school, her primary school. And they decided, you know, hey, guess what would be really cool? We're going to have a great gay pride march. And while she said, you know what, I'm a devout Christian, Christianity believes um, being gay is a sin, it's not something that should be celebrated, you know what I want to do? I want to take my son out of school for that day, I don't want to participate. And basically she requested a meeting with the school. And because the school is just so awesome and the school just said, you know what would be really fun, let's just wind this person up, because you're a Christian, you're, you're just one of those haters, you're just, you know, you're just not tolerant. You just, you're just not cool. So what they did was they had a meeting with her. And the person who went to the meeting wore a t-shirt. And on the t-shirt it had a nice little message. And the message was, why be racist, sexist, homophobic or transphobic when you could just be quiet? Now, I don't want to get into the whole question of should she be allowed to go to school or should she to be allowed to take your son out of school. Let's talk about the t-shirt for a second, shall we? Do we really want people to be quiet? Is that really a benefit to society? Is that really a, is that really going to get us to a healthy place? You know, I get criticized because I'm it's easy to criticize me at times because I'm outspoken about a lot of issues. Because everyone will go to race automatically. You know, the KKK. Do you want them to be quiet? No. Because if you actually make them be quiet and you say government mandates them to be quiet, you'll put them in the corner. And then all of a sudden you'll have people sympathetic to the movement, to the KKK. And people will just join them because they're like, well, that's not fair. They're getting, they're getting told to sit down and shut up. They can't have an opinion. They can't have a voice. That's not fair. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand with them. And what happens then? You have people who are sympathetic to the cause who really don't know anything about the cause or become sympathetic to the cause and are sympathetic to their brainwashing. Because we've silenced it, we don't ever get to overcome the arguments. I actually believe people should be out in the open. I actually believe in discourse. Because if you actually take, let's say, the KKK as an example in racism, if you don't silence them, if you actually have their debate in the public square, I believe it's very easy to dismantle their debate. It's very easy. I don't know anyone who, just on something simple of, hey, you know what? You have a different color skin than I do. You're different. I'm more superior to you or you're inferior to me. You know, this argument has been going around a long time. You know, Abraham Lincoln, before he was president, even wrote about it. And he wrote about it on whiteness. He wrote a famous essay where he spoke about, well, you know, what about white people? What's the optimum whiteness? You know, because there are people with pale white. There are people who are Casper white. Which is the ideal whiteness? Which is, which is more superior? If you have someone who's like milk toast white, are they somehow more superior to someone maybe like me who's more fair? What's the, what's the optimum level of whiteness? That's the argument that we have. Let's actually debate people in the public square and not silence them. But then again, let's get back to that actual story, shall we? If you're a Christian, and I would say the same if you're a Jew or if you're a Muslim, because Muslims believe the same thing. If you're like, you know what, 
homosexuality is a sin. I don't want to celebrate it. I don't want to promote it. Does that automatically make you homophobic? Is it possible just to... I'm going to quote their own words. Isn't it possible, or is it possible, to actually be tolerant of other people's views and not have them embrace them? Is it possible to have a different opinion? To go, look, you know what? I don't want to be involved in that. Is that okay? Because what I find hilariously funny and ironic about some of the movements going around in America and throughout the world is everyone's like, don't put me in a box. When you talk about gender, don't put me in a box. How dare you? I'm not a male or a female. I'm this. Don't you dare put me in a box. But when it comes to ideas, oh, you have to think the same way. If you dare think the different way, you're some type of bigot. You're some type of racist. You're xenophobic. Is it possible just to have a situation where you look, I wish you no harm, but I'm not going to celebrate your lifestyle. And I, everyone goes make this a bit gay. Well, look, what's the big problem? People are gay. Just accept it. Okay, cool. I'm just not going to celebrate it. The same way I'm not going to... If you had a... You know what? If you had a march tomorrow, says, you know what? I'm going to have this march. And this march is... You know what? I... It's all going to be people who go to this march who, like, sleep out at loads of women. Let's just make this about typical guys, right? Hey, I'm a guy. I've slept with 12 women this year, one different every month. And, you know, I married three different women at the one time, and I just sleep around with everyone. Hey, accept me and celebrate me. As a Christian, I'm not going to go celebrate that person. I'm going to go, your lifestyle is not healthy, dude. Not going to work for me. I'm not a hater. I just, like, I'm not embracing your lifestyle. Same way if someone said to me, you know what would be a great idea? Here's what we're going to do. And this is sh- you should celebrate this, John. You work in this industry. You know what? I, I, get al- I drink alcohol every day and I get drunk. I'm an alcoholic and I'm proud. I love being an alcoholic. I'm not going to embrace that person. I'm going to say, if you want to do it, do it. But you might want to look at your life and see, hey, do you want to do things a bit different? Do you want to do things a bit, you know, I don't know, a bit healthier? You know, how about living a more wholesome life? And if they don't, that's their choice. But this idea that automatically you see someone as a bigot or a homophobe is incredible. Story three. And this is from my libertarian friends. If you've been following the news about this caravan at the border, there was the military were called and people have been involved. And then yesterday there was a bit of a, not yesterday, this week there was a bit of a, a few issues and tear gas was, for, was fired and everyone, libertarian friends, are like, how can you do this, you know, this act of violence? You know, we need to denounce this xenophobia. Can we stop with the labels? Can we actually have a discussion about truth and principles without some type of crappy label involved? Is is this possible in 2018? How about we debate things? Like, I'm... It's so frustrating to me, and I see this on all sides. Everyone just wants to use a label. How about we debate things on their merit, on the principle of it? And if we agree or disagree, that's cool. You have a different opinion to me. I have many I have many libertarian friends. They're all open borders. We disagree. Even after me telling them my story, they still think, well, you know, the, the, their belief is the U.S. government shouldn't stop me. I should be there if I want to be. I then point out, you know, well, that system won't work because then everyone comes to you. Where do you stop it? There, there does not, in my ed, in my eyes, there is no logical answer that they've given me that kind of makes sense to me. I actually believe in, you know, borders, the same way I believe in borders in a house, in a car. I believe in, you know, principles. Just because they have a totally different opinion to me, and in my opinion, I've, I've said it to them. What they've said to me is crazy. I'm okay with that. We're still friends. We just agree to disagree. How about we just stop with these labels? You have a different opinion to me. That's okay. But let's how about we have discussions in the public forum without name-calling, without feeling like a victim, without going, well, you called me anti-vax. That's the same as the N-word. Or how about we just stop saying you're xenophobic or you're racist or you're bigoted. Because we have an opportunity right now. We have an opportunity. I've been saying, if you're a long-term listener to this show, you will have heard me say 
that we have opportunities. We're going to have a time in future. And I don't think we're quite there yet, but it's starting to form. I said to you that an opportunity is going to form where everything, everybody will collectively just look at each other going, this world doesn't make sense. This world does not make sense. And it's at that point, you have to be in this part of society. You have to have your credibility. You can't be a, a hatchet person. You can't be, you know, a person who's just after headlines and reviews and just about getting your hits. You have to have credibility. And at that point, you don't say name calling. You don't go, well, I told you, so I've been saying this forever. But you calmly talk about principles. That situation, I believe, is coming very closely. Is coming very soon. Because what's happening in France is very interesting to watch. What's happening in France is people are not happy. People are not happy in France because there was this thinking in France that when Macron won, because he was such an outsider and didn't belong to... Now, I'm giving you the media spin on this. Because he didn't belong to either party, and he was an outsider, it was a new day in French politics. He wasn't an outsider, by the way, in, in truth. He wasn't an outsider. But, you know, let's, let's buy the media narrative and the spin. He was an outsider. Everyone thought, he's going to, and then he got elected. Then everyone thought, wow, we have an outsider president. First of all, they thought was, thank God Macron isn't president. But then they went, we have an outsider. He's not beholden to either party. Wow, France is going to see real change. Mm-hmm, hasn't worked. His approval rating's in the 20s. And right now, the French people are rioting. If you've seen some pictures of Paris, some interesting pictures to watch from Paris, which we'll talk about in a second. But they're ro- protesting over a collective of issues. First thing that's caused this issue is because Europe is what Europe is, we love our taxes over here. They decided, you know what would be really cool? Now's a prime time to raise the fuel tax. So while gas prices are all going down, you know, I saw a post this week, you know, uh, gas prices in America is like one ninety one a gallon. In Europe, it's about $7.50 a gallon. Sometimes 8 Sometimes eight fifty. Just think of that impact on your economy. Well, they said, you know what? It's time to raise gas prices. And that's what they did. But the other problem they have is people have been unfairly taxed. I was reading a story about how um, a man's aunt died. And she left him 40,000 euros, which is about $45,000. And he said she'd worked all her life. She paid her taxes and her charges. She left me $40,000, and the government took 60% of that. Quote, how does that seem fair to you? Of course it doesn't. Now, a lot of people, the problem is, instead of actually having a debate going, well, that's inheritance tax, and, you know, how about you keep what you earn, and you can do with your own money, people would say, well, of course. That's socialism for you. What do you expect? We use our labels. There's other people who are protesting because they just can't afford to eat. There are other people who haven't got jobs and they're protesting because they don't have any hope. They th- they believe the myth, some of them did because they voted for him and others didn't. They believe the myth that here's this outsider, he's going to be different, he's going to change things. He's not beholden to either party. Yet, things don't change. Things don't change. Because what you see in France is the same you see in Ireland, is the same you see in the U.S., You see people like Cortez and everyone else complaining about they can't live in D.C. It's too expensive. Yet they earn $170,000 a year. What you see is people looking around and seeing, hey, I'm struggling to put food on the table and you're putting up my taxes. Or my aunt died and you're taking 60% of her inheritance. That could have you know, helped pay off my mortgage or helped put my kid through college. That could have been really helpful. Or renovate my house and you've taken 60% of it. How is that fair? Yet while I'm struggling and you're putting up my fuel taxes and I can't put food on the table, you're there in your fancy palace on $100,000, $200,000 a year. How, how is that fair? 
So I'm paying you my hard-earned tax dollars so you can live a life to tell me what to do? You're seeing a disconnect. If you're seeing a disconnect in socialist utopia in France, then it's going to start happening everywhere. What will happen is what will always happen. If you do nothing and you don't make this about principles, history will repeat itself. Because the world has done this, countries have done this before, where they all collectively look at each other and go, this isn't making sense. And then one of two things happen. The people in power lie their way out of it. Because what they always come up with is the same excuses of why government doesn't work. We didn't spend enough. We weren't ambitious enough. We didn't go big enough. Or the wrong people were in charge. Or you'll have a strong man. And a strong man will come in and go, sit down, shut up, I'll fix it. Is that the, uh, is that the optimum outcome you want for, for France, for Germany, for Ireland, for America? Or is now the time to be bold and start talking about principles once again? About how if you earn some money or you get some money, you can do what you want with it. It's your money. You've earned it. You've worked. The idea of, you know what? There should be some taxes because, you know, government has to be funded, the military, and, you know, you need police and you need courts. But, you know, about how about federalism? How about where, you know, the government has certain rights, but the states look after everything? Does government works best when it's closest to the people? How about we start having these debates? Without labels, but just principles. Because if it's happening in France right now, it is coming to a place near you. And it's how you act will decide the future. You have an opportunity right now. You have an opportunity whether you like it or not. Will you use the opportunity to share principles? Or will we just continue on doing what we always do and go, well, what did you expect? I told you so. I could have told you that wasn't going to work. That's all socialism. Of course socialism doesn't work. It's never worked anywhere in the world. And we'll all make it about labels and then we all retreat to our own sides. But also, to the lesson for France... If you followed this story, have you seen some of the pictures? How you argue is critical. How you argue and how you make your case is absolutely critical. Because I don't know if you saw it this week. Someone decided, you know what would be really cool? You know what will get those? Do you know what will get people on our side? What we'll do is we'll get a load of JCBs and go right in front of the French Parliament. Get a load of manure into the fork truck and then we'll throw it over the fence and right onto the Parliament. Because that's going to be cool. That'll bring people to our cause. The time for advice is now. The time to make the argument is now. But the time to make the argument, not in the Malcolm X principles, but in the Martin Luther King principles, are right now. We need to be not the people of labels, not the people of insults, not the people of party tricks where, you know, we're protesting, we're angry, we have no food on the table. Let's go riot in the streets. Let's go burn some vehicles. Let's go throw some manure over Parliament. But let's make it peaceful. Let's understand the reason Martin Luther King won in many parts was because when other people were preaching violence, he was walking across a bridge arm in arm. And there was no one who could look at that and go, that's a, that's a violent man. That's a man that can't be listened to. That, no, they saw a picture of a reasonable man. And they saw a reasonable crowd. And then their argument was heard. And then everyone went, you know what, that makes sense to me. You want proof of that? 25% of the people who turned up to listen to Martin Luther King talk about his dream in D.C. were white. That is how you change the world. And that is what we're going to do. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I want to finish up today's show by talking to you a bit about your history. I want to share a story with you, a story I've been sharing, promising for the last couple of weeks. And it's about your Revolutionary War. You know, when you, if you've read anything about your Revolutionary War, if you've read about the battles that happened between the Continental Army and the Hessians, you know, a lot of the battles that get attention are, you know, the the Battle of Saratoga, the Battle of Yorktown, the Battle of Monmouth. I don't want to talk to you about those today. I want to actually talk to you about 
a battle that was pretty significant but really never ever gets any attention the battle that's pretty much been forgotten and that's the battle of stony point You know, the Revolutionary War, when you read the history, it sometimes can get glossed over by a lot of people. The idea that it was somehow quick and decisive, or when you read it, you don't ever, I don't think you ever get the full emotions of your Revolutionary War, of how much pain and suffering your founders went through. You know, everyone who thinks that America just came about, the idea of America just came about, that just happened and it was divine providence and it just happened real quick. I'm sorry, you have to read your history. The Revolutionary War went on a long time. You know, you just didn't declare your your independence, have a little battle against the English, win and you all went home. This Battle of Stony Point happened in the summer of 1779. The fourth year of the Revolutionary War. The Stony Point was a fort the British, the Hessians held. And it had the nickname the Gibraltar of America. The British, the Hessians, were convinced it was impenetrable, untakeable. They pretty much felt like, you know, in more recent times... Kind of like, you know, the Titanic. It's the unsinkable ship. It's a port you'll never take. They had built it in such a way that they felt it was untakeable that not even the great George Washington would even try take this. But that's what they did. And the person who led the attack that time was a person called General Anthony Wayne. And he had a great record and he was known during the Revolutionary War for certain characteristics. Some of those characteristics was, well, he was never one to shy away from a fight. He was known for his aggressiveness in the battle. And he was pretty tenacious. He even had a nickname, Mad Anthony. Kind of like Mad Dog Mattis, but, you know, before it was cool. And they had General Washington and General Wayne and the other generals had a meeting and said they came up with this battle plan of how they're going to take the fort. And the battle involved attacking when the English least expect it. In this case, it was going to happen around midnight. And again, if you read any part of your history, the conditions that night weren't exactly, how should we say, favorable. It was extremely dark. And it was unseasonably cold and blustery. You know, if you, again, if you read enough of your history about the revolution, you know, you, you get to see how uh, the weather plays such a big impact on us. Well, they had this plan and they stormed the fort in three stages from three different directions. Because one of the things they had found was they were, their big artillery, the Hessians' big artillery, was naval cannons. And they kind of figured out that they're not easily moved. So if we attack in different directions, it's not like you can just take a cannon and fire, let's say, from the north, and then all of a sudden go to the south and fire from the south. That if you, That's why they broke up into different sections. And they eventually get to the, to the fort, and they storm the fort. And General Wayne is leading the charge. And as he enters the second kind of hold within the fort, they're running. His musket ball grazes his skull. And there's a two-inch laceration. And it's ble- he's basically bleeding from his forehead. This is all factually true. Now, what I'm about to tell you is reported. You know, sometimes people embellish stories to make people seem even better. But it's reported that... Um, when he regained his composure, he said the following, Forward, my brave fellows, forward. Carry me into the fort. If I am to die, I want to die at the head of my column. That's reported. But if you read enough about this guy, it's he probably maybe didn't say that verbatim, but 
maybe that was the intent of what he said. After many battles, little battles inside and fierce fighting, the British eventually surrender, put down their weapons and surrender. And what was incredible about this was that this war, without getting too sidetracked from it, this war was getting pretty brutal. And the treatment the Hessians uh, gave to the uh, Continental Army and to people in towns who they felt were sympathetic was pretty brutal. It was getting really nasty. Four years into a conflict. Anyone who asked for quarter received it. The general of the British, of the Hessians, went later went on record and said, the rebels had made the attack with a bravery that had never been before exhibited, and they showed at this moment a generosity and a clemency which during the course of the rebellion had no parallel. That's the American people. That's even in the course of war, you have principles. That night, through that attack that has long been forgotten, 15 Americans died that night. Many don't even know their names. Another 83 were wounded that night. For America to get where you've gotten, you will literally have to understand one very important fact. That where you are today, whether you like it or not, you are literally standing on a mountain of bodies. A mountain of bodies of people who have paid the ultimate sacrifice so you can be where you are today. In a world where we all love to talk about our rights and our freedoms and what we're entitled to, we have forgotten one thing and one word. Responsibilities. Or since we're talking about the military, I'll use a different word. Your duty. You have a responsibility to all those men and women who died and who paid the ultimate sacrifice so you can be free. The American Revolution was hard. It was tough. It was bloody. The reason this battle, now that's been long forgotten, is so important in my eyes, is because it was the fourth year of the Revolutionary War. And it led to your getting confidence. If you actually think of the mindset of the Revolutionary War where, you know, you have the Declaration of Independence and there's this big wave of patriotism and you go, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to kick the British's ass. Let's get them out. And then you actually come to fight them and you get your ass whooped. And you have to retreat. Then you engage them again and you get the same result and you have to retreat. It plays into your mind. It's like getting beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten. The reason the Battle of Stony Point was so key in my eyes is because it led to you thinking, they know the British call this the Gibraltar of America. Can you imagine if we storm it and we take it? What type of message will that send? Well, that's what you did. You took it and you sent a message. You sent a message to the Hessians that y'all mean business. You send a message to the Hessians going, you know what, we may not be a professional army as you. We may not have the experience you have. We may not have the weapons you have. We may not have the training you have, but don't underestimate us. But you also showed your character. There's a letter that's now famous. Later on in the middle of the night, when General Wayne was assessing everything after the battle, he could have just went, you know what, we've I've been shot, I've been wounded, battle was hard. It took a lot of work to get here. Just want to go to bed and, you know, rest. But he insisted on writing a letter to George Washington. 
And it's a very short letter with a saying everyone needs to hear. The letter reads as follows. Dear General, the fort and garrison with Colonel and Johnson are ours. Our officers and men behave like men who are determined to be free. That's one of my favorite quotes. Because when you read it, and I would encourage you if you don't know about the Battle of Stony Point, go Google it and read about it. Go read about the history. Everything those men sacrificed, some of the men who were at the front knew there was a chance, a very good chance, they wouldn't survive the battle. In fact, they knew there was a good chance they mightn't even survive, let alone the battle, the first sort of wave of attack. Yet they fought anyway. They were determined to be free. Even though there was a chance they knew they may never make it, personally, they wanted their offspring to be free. They saw something bigger. They saw a bigger purpose. It is a truly wonderful story. And it's why I created a hoodie out of it. If you've been listening to this show the last couple of weeks, you know I've started. It's not a business. It's not a charity. It's, it's selling hoodies with a great message on it. There's a hoodie that simply says, think, behave, act like you were determined to be free. It's inspired by General Wayne. That is what we be- I believe we need to do. We need to change our mindset. We need to change everything we do with the sole focus of that we are determined to be free. And that we have a responsibility to ourselves, to our maker, to our family, to the next generation. To maybe pay the ultimate price so they can have the opportunity to be free. It's not a popular message, but it's a message that needs to be heard today. If you're interested in checking these hoodies out, go to freedomsdisciple.com slash store. Every profit, all 100% of the profits go to Mercury One, to charity. It's not about making money for me. It's about making a positive message. This is a message that needs to be heard in America today. That their men and women acted like they determined to be free. We can change the world, but we must do it in a principled fashion. I want to share these messages of American history with your people, but also by selling them and raising money for charity, it's twofold. We're helping people. That is how we change the world. There are other hoodies, designs, you've seen them, America Making the Impossible Possible since 1776. Check them out. There's eight different designs, different stories. This is a story. I'm not hawking this hoodie, but I wanted to share this story with you today. I'm going to share a story for the next couple of weeks with you in this segment of the show of your history and why your people are incredible, why your history of your principles are so important and why the world and America needs to be reintroduced to them. This story has been forgotten. We need to bring it back to life. This story and so many others. Because if you understand American history, and you read American history, and you understand the founders, and all the pain and sacrifice that they had, where they declared your independence in 1776, it took this battle four years to get to this battle, Then it takes to 1787 to write the Constitution and then to 1791 to write the Bill of Rights. It was not a quick process. It took a lot of pain. It took a lot of sacrifice. It took a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And if we are willing to make that sacrifice and to do the hard work, principles can be cool once again. To those of you who have ordered hoodies off the site, thank you. It's coming up to Christmas. They make great Christmas gifts. Please share it with your family and your friends. It's freedomsdisciple.com slash store. Say 100% of all the profits go to Mercury One. And we're going to make a positive difference. But share these positive messages. It makes a great gift. Act like men and women who are determined to be free. 
I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. Hope this show has given you plenty to think about. I'm sure I've annoyed some people who are not happy with my comments on Trump, but if I'm wrong, prove me wrong. Engage with me on Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 And until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. And we salute each and every one of those men and women who served, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And never forget America, the secret sauce to your country is America is great because Americans are good. God bless. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.